Now, today was one of those days where, uh, I mean, we do this every Sunday, our, our setup team. We show up, and, you know, we kind of got this down. We got this great routine scheduled and figured out. It is a clean running machine. Like, I'm telling you, it is smooth until you get here one day, and uh, the key that we usually use to get inside this building isn't where it should be. And so we're sitting out in the cold wondering, uh, is church going to happen today? Uh, our key was not in the lockbox where it usually is to get in. So we're kind of calling and texting some of our friends that own the building, trying to figure it out. Nobody's awake. Uh, we're coming up, you know, brainstorming. What do you think? Should we go to the park? Is it too cold? <laughs> it's a little cold. It's a little cold. We decided not to do park worship today. Uh, luckily, our friend uh, Steve Goldab, he was getting up early and just happened to see the text, and he drove a key over here. Our team scrambled and pulled everything together in time. Uh, it was just fun. Like, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I told Andrew, I was like, I don't know why, man. Like, I'm, I'm riding a high right now, man. This is going to be a fun Sunday. But I, I also got to tell you, the passage I'm preaching on is not fun. <laughs> but I, I don't care because, you know what, sometimes we need those passages from Scripture. You know, it, we love, like, the, the good stuff, the fun stuff, like the celebratory. Man, that's so good. Everything in Scripture is there for a reason and a purpose. The weird and the strange and the stuff that sounds completely crazy or mean or cold or angry or, I mean, why, why is that in the Bible sometimes? Like, we wrestle with that. So many people wrestle with that when it comes to God. But we dive into that here at Revival. That's one of the things I love. If he gives us a passage to look at, we're not going to avoid it. We're not going to dance around it. We're going to go and we're going to look straight at what it says. And so this week, uh, we've been in this series. Uh, it was originally supposed to be called Doors. Uh, but if you missed last week, you'll understand that when the, our guy that makes graphics texted me and I said, you know, he asked me what the sermon title or the sermon series title is. I said, Just Doors. He thought it was Just Doors. I, I you know, communication error, communication error. Next time I'll put it in quotes, Just Doors. But we had a good laugh about it, and the more we kind of thought about it, processed through, I was like, no, I, I kind of like it, because uh, there's so many passages about doors in Scripture, and I, I've been looking at a lot of them, and I, I think sometimes we could read right over a passage, and we just kind of think, I'm just a door, what, whatever, that doesn't matter, that's a detail. But the details in Scripture are there for a reason. There are things that he can speak through even just one word and communicate and show us, because his word is living and active. And so this week, I've been going through so many passages uh, that involve this word doors and, and looking at them. And there's so many fun ones and there's so many good ones. And I'm like, oh, there, there's one passage in Revelation, uh, Jesus, where it says he stands at the door and knocks. I love that one. I wanted to preach on that one the first week. But it, here's how a little inside glance at sermon writing goes. I have these ideas sometimes, and sometimes he lets me go with them, and I, you know, he just like, is like, yeah, 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 here it is, here it is. And sometimes he's like, no, nah, that's not what I want you to say. Like, sometimes he will give me a specific word or give me a specific leading and say, no, like, I, I know you wanted to go there, but I need you to go here because this is for my people. It's not for you. It's not for, oh, man, Al's got a great idea. He wants to use this. He wants to preach all this. No, no, no. I'm going to show you, and I'm going to teach you something that I want to teach my people. So I had another fun one picked out this week, and I think he'll let me preach on it eventually, but once again, he said, no, not that one. We're going to Judges. 
I don't know if you know much about Judges, but it is dark. <laughs> like, Judges 19. So I'm sitting there, and, you know, we had a snow day this last week. And on a snow day, that kind of, you know, messes up my usual routine of, like, sermon prep and all that. So my whole day is backwards. I'm hanging out with kids all day, you know, being a dad. And then at night when everyone's in bed, I'm sitting down finally and I have some time alone uh, just to sit in the word and to listen to his voice, uh, to journal down what I believe he's saying and what he's speaking to me that he wants to speak to our church. And so this is a little inside look at the process I go through every week uh, when it comes to trying to write a message. And so I'm sitting down on Wednesday and I, I, I mean, like coming up from within is Judges 19. I'm like, Judges 19, like I, I wanted to preach out of Matthew this week. There's some great passages that involve doors in Matthew, and I, that's where I want to be. He said, Judges 19. And, I, and I, I read through this, and I was like, that can't be it. <laughs> you're going to see, as I'm reading through it today, you're going to be like, wow. I, I had to read through this a couple times. The second or third time through, I was like, oh yeah, there is a door in this passage. <laughs> so you can keep your eye open for that. Keep your ear open for that as we're going through here, Judges 19. There's a door in this passage. Judges 19, here's the title, The Levite and His Concubine. <laughs> I know, I told you, this is where we're starting today. Okay, Levites, they were the, the priestly tribe. They were priests. They were the pastors. 19 verse one. Now in those days... Israel had no king. This is before King Saul, before King David. This is after they've been freed from Egypt. This is after that they've entered into the promised land. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. Not to be his wife, but to be his concubine. She was like a possession but she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. Uh, in other versions, it, it would say she played the harlot against him. She cheated on him. Okay? After about four months, her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys. When he arrived at his father's house, her father saw him and welcomed him. Her father urged him to stay a while. So he stayed three days eating, drinking, and sleeping there. On the fourth day, the man was up early, ready to leave, but the woman's father said to his son-in-law, have something to eat before you go. So the two men sat down together and had something to eat and drink. Then the woman's father said, please stay another night and enjoy yourself. The man got up to leave, but his father-in-law kept urging him to stay. So he finally gave in and stayed the night. On the morning of the fifth day, he was up early again, ready to leave. And again, the woman's father said, have something to eat. Then you can leave later this afternoon. So they had another day of feasting. Later, as the man and his concubine and servant were preparing to leave, his father-in-law said, look, it's almost evening. Stay the night and enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you can get up early and be on your way. By this time, the man was determined to leave. So he took his two saddled donkeys and his concubine, and he headed in the direction of Jebus, that is Jerusalem. It was late in the day when they neared Jebus, and the man's servant said to him, let's stop at this Jebusite town and spend the night there. No, the master said, we can't stay in this foreign town where there are no Israelites. Instead, we'll go to Gibeah. Come on, let's try to get as far as Gibeah or Ramah, and we'll spend the night in one of those towns. So they went on. 
The sun was setting as they came to Gibeah, a town in the land of Benjamin. So they stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one tucked them in for the night. Here they are in a town of their people, fellow Israelites, and no one's taking them in. That evening, an old man came home from his work in the fields. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but he was living in Gibeah where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. When he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. We had been to Bethlehem in Judah, the man replied. We're on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my house. I traveled to Bethlehem, and now I'm returning home. But no one has taken us in for the night, even though we have everything we need. We have straw and feed for our donkeys and plenty of bread and wine for ourselves. They're not going to be a burden for anyone if they could just stay the night in somebody's home. You're welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I will give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. So he took them home with him, fed the donkeys, and after they washed their feet, they ate and drank together. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing, for this man is a guest in my house, and such a thing would be shameful. Here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you, and you can abuse them and do whatever you like, but don't do such a shameful thing to this man. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite, the Levite, the priest, he took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town abused her all night, taking turns raping her until morning. Finally, at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. It's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. One of the most broken stories that you'll read. One of the darkest. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. He said, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? What's going, who's going to speak up? Like I said... I asked him multiple times on Wednesday night, are you sure you want me to preach on this passage? It's not really fun. But it just kept coming back over and over, Judges 19. And I just kept asking him, why? What are you, what are you trying to show me here? Deuteronomy chapter 6. After the Israelites have been freed from Egypt... God gives Moses commands and words and laws and 
And one of the things he tells them here in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. They would actually do this. They would do this. They would tie them to their hands and wear them as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's possible that this woman laying there at that door, that the last thing she would have seen was this written on the doorpost. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. How did it get to this point? This isn't the picture of marriage that God gave all the way back in the garden. This isn't the picture of love between a husband and wife that God paints as a picture throughout the rest of Scripture, but somehow they got lost along the way. Somehow they forgot what his word says. Judges 17, 6 says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's all they did. Whatever seems right in our own eyes. What kind of world are we living in today? Man, if that's what you feel like you want to do, if that feels good to you, go ahead. Who am I to judge? I shouldn't say anything. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. That's how they got to that point. And we're saying, no, no, that would never happen here. It's going to happen here. It will happen here. Unless God's people gather and repent and seek revival throughout the rest of our time here today, throughout the rest of our time on this earth. If we will seek revival, if we will seek after his voice, if we will listen to him when he speaks, we won't see this day come again. His spirit will move and fight and change to protect and renew the hearts and minds of people in our lives and people around us because we choose to live in revival. We choose to live in the fullness of the spirit in life abundantly. That's how we won't see this happen again. How did they get there to that point? Go back to Judges 17. There was a man named Micah. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. 
The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her. She's a very forgiving woman, very kind, okay? He returned the money to her, and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord in honor of my son. I will have an image carved and an idol cast. So when he returned the money to his mother, he took the 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol, and he made a sacred ephod. It was a priestly garment that the priest would wear, and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This was a lot more convenient than him traveling to the temple to make sacrifices, to worship the one true God. And at that time, there was no temple, but there was a place where they would gather together to worship God, the tent that was set up. And so then he installed one of his sons as the personal priest. Verse 7, one day a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem and Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and priest to me. I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest in his own home. How did we get to Judges 19? Judges 17. Church at home. Church at home, personal church, convenient church, church when I want it. You get it yet? Church at home. I could just sit here in my pajamas, drink my coffee, turn on my live stream of my church. Church at home, church the way I want it, the church that I want that's going to preach exactly what I want, and if they don't, I'll change the channel and I'll go to the next one. They got there through church at home, through convenience, through their desires, through what they wanted. Some people have asked in the past, like, hey, Revival, are you guys ever going to live stream? No, <laughs> I don't think we will. I don't think we will. We never will. Like, we said that early on. We're like, no. God's people got to gather. We're the church when we gather, wherever we gather, even if it's 20 degrees out and we're locked out of a building and whoever wants to show up, we're going to worship outside. <laughs> we're going to be the church and we're not going to be the church at home. We're not going to be convenient. We're not going to do it the way the world's doing it. We're going to do it the way he's told us to do it, to gather together in worship, to gather together to worship him in spirit and truth. We won't turn to church at home. We'll, we'll put our messages out there. You know, We might even, you know, every now and then, we'll put you know, a little sample of our worship out there. 
Uh, our worship team this year, they're going to start working on a, on a worship album. There, I said it in public now. <laughs> Sorry, you just want to start one song? It's going to be a whole album, all right? Um, I put you on the spot for 2023, Andrew. But uh, we're going to do stuff like that because we believe that's important. That ministry is incredible. It's powerful. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're not able to make it to church. But we don't want to ever let it become an excuse to ever let it become a crutch and say, this is a substitution. It's not a substitution. It's not the same thing. It's different. Micah, Micah didn't make an idol to some other God, by the way. This idol, it, it was to God. But he still made an idol. Making an idol, it, 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 it takes away from God. It tries to steal who he is because you cannot sum up God in one image. He is too great and too complex and too unimaginably difficult uh, to fathom every angle, every nuance. To, like we can never wrap our minds fully around him and to try and put him in a box and say this is who he is. This image is who I believe God is. It, it might represent even a, a piece of him. Even the Israelites, when they made the golden calf, when, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the word from the Lord, and they, didn't, they hadn't seen him in a while, and they're like, well, we still want to worship this God who saved us. They made this golden calf, and it represented a piece of him, his strength. There is strength in a calf. But it didn't represent the wholeness of God. No one can do that. We're not capable as humans. He's too great, too unimaginable. But this is what Micah tried to do. He installed his own personal priest who he was paying, he was providing clothes for, so do you think that guy, do you think he's ever like just going through scripture and, and you know, he's ever like, boy, Micah's really struggling here. I should probably tell him, you know, this is what God's word says. No, 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 no. He's, he's going to tell him exactly what he wants to hear. He's going to say exactly like, oh, well, yeah, Micah, you're doing great. This is awesome. Everything's great. You're not living in sin. Nothing. You're not going against God's word, even though it says over here. No, 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 no. He was his personal priest to tell him whatever he wanted, when he wanted. And Micah really believed that he could control and manipulate God, that he could get what he wanted, that he could receive the blessings of God, but on his terms. And that's so many of us today. We want to receive the blessings from God. We want to be blessed by him, but we want that blessing on our terms. And so even the, our church, we've been in this season of prayer and fasting, and we've got one week to go through this. It's 21 days. Even when we come to him in prayer and fasting, sometimes there's this mindset that we start to look at and say, oh, if I fast enough, if I give up enough, if I sacrifice enough, then I can receive from him exactly what I want, my heart's desires. That's not why we fast. It's okay to take our, our wants and our desires and our, our needs to him, to lay them out before him, but to do it humbly and to seek his presence before anything else. 
That's why we fast and pray, and that's why we do it together as a church. We want to start out the year in this season of prayer and fasting and drawing into his presence first and foremost to give him our first and our best to start 2023. That's what we do. When we tithe, we give him our first and our best. When we sacrifice our time and our desires to spend with him or our cravings to fast, is to give him our first and our best to spend time in his presence, to read his word, to draw near to him as he draws near to us and to listen to his voice. And it's not so that we can get our desires from him, it's so that he can change our desires to line up with his. That's what he does through prayer and fasting. He begins to change and rewire us spiritually in a way where instead of seeking the things of this world, we begin to seek the things he desires for his kingdom. That's why we spend this time together. Not to try to control or to manipulate as if he is a God that could be, because he can't be. All the language Micah used at the end of 17, verses 12 and 13, I me, I, my. It was isolated. It was selfish. Judges 20. We're going to get ready to close it out here. Worship team, if you guys want to come up and we'll get ready for this moment. Judges 20, verse 18. So the Levite, the priest, he had sent out this message through the cut up pieces of his concubine. He had sent this message to all the other tribes to let them know what the tribe of Benjamin had done. And they were convicted. They knew what had happened here was wrong, it was evil, and that something needed to be done. Verse 18, they've all gathered together and they're gonna go to battle against Benjamin. Before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and they asked God which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin. And the Lord answered, Judah is to go first. So the Israelites left early the next morning and camped near Gibeah. Then they advanced toward Gibeah to attack the men of Benjamin. But Benjamin's warriors who were defending the town, they came out and killed 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the Israelites encouraged each other and took their positions again at the same place they had fought the previous day. For they had gone up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord until evening. They had asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? They'd already lost once. And the Lord said, go out and fight against them. So the next day they went out again to fight against the men of Benjamin. But the men of Benjamin killed another 18,000 Israelites all of whom were experienced with the sword. Then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and they wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. This is what some of you in this season of prayer and fasting, uh, you've been trying this sun up to sundown fast. And this is where that, that type of fast comes from, this passage here. 
All the Israelites, they went up to Bethel, and they wept in the presence of the Lord, and they fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In this season, we've been seeking direction from him. Because there's things that we may be passionate about, we may have a desire for, that we may want to see come to fruition in our lives, but we want his direction and his will before our own. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And so in this season of prayer and fasting, there is an alignment with his word in this season. Not trying to get him to conform or bend to our will, but for us to submit and surrender to his That's what this season is all about. And when our desires begin to line up with his word and his will for our life, we begin to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as we go forward by faith. And we begin to see it's not my kingdom I'm building, it's his that I've been called to build. That's why we gather, church. That's why we don't do church at home. We've been called to gather together corporately. The church had been spread out. His people had been spread thin and left to do things on their own, left to seek him on their own, left to seek after what was right in their own eyes. But here they weep in repentance and they turn back to him in fasting and prayer corporately together as one. Ooh, that's powerful. When the church gathers, there is something powerful that takes place. There is an aligning of his body being put back into place, into what it was created to do, to be his hands, to be his feet. That's why we gather together, church. They brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel. It housed his presence in those days. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron was the priest. The Israelites asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? The Lord said, go tomorrow I will hand them over to you. Now he finally gives them the promise. I will hand them over to you. You have been broken and you've come to a place of repentance where you acknowledge that you need me. That's where revival takes place when the church gathers and we submit and surrender to him. And we declare as one, your will, not our will. 1 Peter 2, 5. And you, all of us, are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the, med- through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We don't have to travel to Bethel anymore. Where we gather, where two or more are gathered, his presence is there. We are temples of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so as we finish this last week of fasting and prayer, take everything you have to him. 
every want, every desire, lay it all out on the table and tell them, none of this matters unless you are in on it. None of this matters unless this is what you have for me. Because I want to do your will and not my own. I pray that our church would be realigned this week in a new and fresh way and that it would change our body, our temple, as we move forward by faith into what he has for us this year.